morning, everybody. Yes, silver lining, that's a bit cheeky, isn't it? I diet for this to make myself look a little more distinguished. Or is it possibly to fit in a little better? I bring you greetings from Homegate. Uh, it's always good to, to link up. Some of us were at a bonfire last night. But it's always good to come back and have a full fellowship with you. Uh, I understand your pastor is away. You've given him a week off already. What's going on there? We allowed Phil off once, I suppose. But it's an exciting time for the churches, isn't it, as we, we look to what the Lord has got in store for us as fellowships, as churches, into the communities that God's placed us. And it's a good opportunity just to sort of pray. And it's great to have your prayers. We pray for you regularly. And it's a, a, a real time to pray for those families. They've moved into the area how little they know. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's, it's a great opportunity, isn't it? It's lovely that God has given us men and families and leads us in such a way that he wants something to be done. What is it? Well, let's have a look and see what that could possibly be this morning. You might want to turn to Romans chapter 8. I feel a little nervous with this sort of headphones on. I feel like I've got a pimple on my cheek that I can keep seeing. But we'll try and see how we get on. But Romans chapter 8 is the passage we're going to look at. And uh, just while I sort the, <coughs> the notes out here, see where we're going. But I, I wanted a bit of uh, congregation participation, really. Don't worry, we're at home gate. We're Mother Church, we won't have any candles or anything like that. But I'm just going to say one word, and I want you to see if you can join me in saying the opposite of that word, okay? In. Oh, you're very good. It took Homegate quite a few times to get that. But be harsh. Light. Very good. Salt. Oh, not so sure. Not so sure there. Okay, let's see if we can do another one. Uh, left. If I'd have said right, you'd have said wrong. <laughs> it's never clear cut. Well, I'm going to say to you this morning, I'm going to ask you a simple question. I have a little, uh, little aid here. Look at that. Treasurer of Homegate got out with two pounds without the family nicking it. I'm going to flip this coin. I'm going to say heads and you're going to say... Well, you're not actually. You could say whatever you like, but heads and tails, it's another choice, isn't it? It's a simple choice. Let's see what we're going to get this morning. Heads or tails. Ian, you led the service so well for us. What's it going to be? Heads it is. Tails. It can't be both, can it? Heads or tails. That means you get one sermon for the length of two. Yes, I think that's right. It's very clear cut. This Bible passage, as we read it there, uh, is very clear cut. It might not seem it, but it is very, very, very clear cut. It's as clear as black or... Oh, you're getting the hang of it. Okay, there's no grey this morning. And one of the key things here is that you have to accept that in life, which is very grey, there are moments of black or white. There are moments of clarity in a life of confusion. There are uh, aspects of a clear-cut decision when we make an absolute fudge of it. Do you have an experience of that? I do. Every day, even this morning. And so what we're looking at this morning is a remarkable passage of Scripture. Romans is a remarkable book, isn't it? Paul writes it really for the church at Walton and the church at Homegate and the church at Rome, for the believers. God has ordained it to be here because it is an absolute a sort of manuscript for us. It's a guidance, isn't it? And in Romans chapter, well, the whole of Romans, we've been looking at that. And I just love Romans. It's a, it's a book that looks difficult, and it is. It's got some really hard teaching, but it's got some very clear teaching. And I think if you're like me, and uh, obviously uh, as a man, I, I have many ways of forgetting anything. This morning was quite a taxing test, just a pencil sharpener and a pencil. 
we need to be constantly reminded of a truth that we can't forget. And that truth is that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And if we put our trust in him, he has saved us. Simple as that. You see, one of the remarkable things in this Romans, you've got the first four chapters is really the heart of the gospel. In chapter 1, God reveals that he's made himself known to everything in creation so that no man, well, there's no excuse for not knowing him. No man is without excuse. In chapter 2, we learn of God's wrath against that salvation, how unrighteous that salvation has become, how selfish, how greedy, how wicked, how evil. And he was just thinking of me. And then in chapter 3, we realize that that wrath has a judgment. Now, I don't know about you. I'm gifted in the art of judgments. I can judge very quickly. I'm very good at it. I get it wrong all the time, actually. But we are very good at judging things, aren't we? Why did they say that? I know why. Why did they act like that? I know why. We're very good at judging things. But God has and is going to judge the world once and for all. And chapter 3 is about that judgment because we all fall short of God's glory. We all fail his standard. Under the law, which this talks about, this passage, we are failed. We've transgressed. We've crossed the line. We are, I'm afraid, that's it. Our goose is cooked, as it were. Now, some of you just immediately thought you left the oven off. But I want you to try and stay focused in the room of what this passage is going to say this morning. And so in Romans chapter 4, we have the heart of the gospel that it's for really the Jew and the Gentile alike. Isn't that a truth that we're grateful for this morning? I don't know how many of you are of Jewish origin, but aren't we grateful that Jew and Gentile alike are in God's plan? That we can be made righteous through faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's a remarkable truth. I just want you to have that for a moment and get hold of it and put it in your pocket because I want you to take hold of that this week. And not forget it. If you remember a pencil sharpener next Sunday, I'll be very disappointed, okay? I want you to remember this truth, that we, are, we can be made righteous through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of us are made righteous through faith. And then we get chapter 5, where this remarkable truth, the assurance of the gospel, that whilst we were sinners, we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans chapter 8, we have this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a truth that we can't get away from. Therefore, whenever a passage starts, therefore, you know you've got to look back, haven't you? Well, we're not going to do that. I've just done that, okay? What do we look at the word? When it says, therefore, in Scripture, you have to accept everything that gone before. This is now the conclusion of the matter. We're coming to the, the end of this particular argument. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And in that remarkable moment, you've gone from that position of darkness, you've been set apart from the judgment of God's wrath for the sin and the wickedness in the world, you've been transferred into light. And uh, the way the devil would have me believe this passage is that I can sort of go from this side, because I've been a really nice guy, then I've been a bit grumpy and a bit judgmental, so I go back into this side, and the devil says, you can't really be a believer. You're a disgrace. Stand up there, pronouncing your faith. Everyone looks at you, and you know what you're really like. 
That's true, but it means, unfortunately, that that doesn't happen. That's not what his Bible says. What it says is, I've been set apart from this position of darkness into this position of light. I've been set free from the law of sin and death and put into the light. And I can't go back. This passage is a remarkable passage because God has a hold of us fast that he won't let go. And we can't go from this side back to that side. Do you accept that? Well, why do we live our lives as though we're between the two? We're not. We can live in a way that isn't pleasing to God, and we can live in a way that God is is sort of showing us that you really are still sinning. You still are willfully sinning as well. But I love you, and I have sent my son to die for you. God didn't send his son because we at Walton this morning here and at Homegate are so lovely, kind, and nice people. He sent us because we're needing him, because we're sinners, we're selfish, we're wicked, and we need saving. In chapter 8 onwards, well, in the rest of the the passage here from 5 through to the end of the chapter, what Paul is setting out is what it really means to be a Christian, to be a believer. I don't know about you, do people ask you, are you a Christian? Do you get asked that at work? I tend to shy away from that a little bit, partly because I work in London at St. George's, but I say, tend to say, yes, I'm a believer. Not because I'm a fan of the monkeys. Some of you are too young to remember that. But I tend to associate with that because I, I do think so many people misuse the term being a Christian. It sort of sets you on a pedestal, and I'm not really worthy of that because I'm as hypocritical as the next man. But at the same time, I do know I'm a believer. I'm taken from this side of unbelief, and I'm transferred through nothing I've done, but God has done into this position of being a believer. And although I can let God down and I can fail and I can, I can still sin in that regard, I can confess that sin, but God doesn't love me any less. He loves me just as much. But he doesn't transfer me back to this place. And the devil would have us believe, oh, you've lost your faith. You've lost your way. You're no longer the believer you once were. But I want this morning to say Scripture doesn't teach that at all. Scripture teaches that we go from a position of darkness into a position of life. So we're going to look at lots of two things together, really. We're going to look at the fact that if you have accepted God's call this morning, if you have at some point in your life prayed that prayer and asked him to be Lord of your life, and you meant that, God honors that prayer. And at that moment, you were taken from one side to the other. And you can't lose it. Never will I leave you or forsake you. It says in Psalm 139, your right hand will hold me fast. This passage is not about following Christ. This passage is not about our discipleship, how good we live our lives as believers. It's about our standing as a believer. Not our sitting or our crawling or our groveling. It's our standing, our position. And we have God with us. It's what it means to be a believer, to be one of God's children, to be part of his kingdom. The Bible is very clear that not only do we need to be born of the Spirit, but we need to be born of the... Sorry, not only do we need to be born of (coughs) physical birth, we need to be born according to the Spirit. 
So if I can have the slide, oh, you've got my coins there, so I'm, I'm in control now, am I, looking at the back, this could be dangerous. I'll point at you, it's very unnatural to point there to get that to change. Let's see if it works. Okay, near enough. So we are one of these two groups of people. You can't get away from it. You're either one or the other. We're all people. Get that? Look at you. I can see that. You're one or the other. Now, there's lots of differences we can have, but fundamentally, the way God judges us according to Scripture is very clear-cut. You're either in or you're out. You're either in darkness or you're in. You're either without Christ or with Christ. Can't get it clearer than that. We're either subject to the law and death or we're subject to the Lord and life. We still have to face judgment because as you know, and you've known me for many years, we are sinners still, but we need to confess that on a daily basis because we don't live to the standard that God would want us to live. So we have these two groups of people. And what's quite evident with these two groups of people it's scripture teaches us what they are. You're either of the flesh or you're of the spirit, this passage talks about. Let's see if it goes. Can I have the next slide, please? There we go. And in living according to that, it's quite clear that we, the Bible teaches us what that life is like. Now, I'm going to put two passages up for you. In Galatians, <coughs> well, it says, if we're living of the flesh, the flesh is used in three ways in scripture. The first way it's used is just referred to our physical bodies. The physical flesh, okay? Some, I've got a little bit more than I want. It's just the way it is. But it just refers to us needing a body. That's how it refers to it. Many passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, Galatians 2, Galatians 4. Or there's another way it refers to us as about life being temporary. The flesh is temporary. It's going to decay. It's going to rot. And it's going to disappear, isn't it? 1 Peter 2.24 says that the weakness of human life is the flesh. We're not Superman, are we? We haven't got invincible skin. Might have tough skin, but not invincible. Or then we've got this other way it refers to in Galatians 5. The sinful nature of mankind. And that's how this picture is here. That we refer to the things of the flesh as being things of sinful, selfish man. And so if you have a look at that passage there, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, or drunkenness, orgies and the like. An everyday occurrence. Can you see how when we think of sinful acts of the flesh, we think, oh, it's really, really bad. But actually, there's in there where we're unkind. We're just, it, it's all part and wrapped up. It doesn't matter whether we have a scale of how bad that sinful nature is. It is a sinful nature, and God will judge it. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it's like. Two groups of people. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, whether you think you deserve to be in it, or whether you don't identify with all that list of things, well, this week anyway, that's your standing. That's how you stand. And therefore, you will be uh, subject to God's wrath and subject to his judgment. 
And that is sad for those of us who have seen the light, have been called by God, convicted of the light, that we therefore want to dissociate ourselves from. But we know people, people in our families, people in our friendship groups, people who are dear to us, who yet don't know that truth. But do we think we're on this side because we're so much better than that side? Well, that's a great shame if you do, because I would suggest you're probably not on that side if you do. (laughs) I'm not here because I'm so great and God has called me because he knows how good I am. I'm here because God knows how bad I am and how much I need him and how much I need to be saved. And that's a humbling thought, isn't it? These deeds, <clears throat> that all these sins that we cover, Paul makes it clear that if we live according to the flesh, everything about our life is about the, the sort of moment, isn't it? It's everything that we're doing occupies our thinking, that selfishness. Ultimately, we are at the center of it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the term not only includes thought and understanding, it includes the affections, the emotions, the desires, and the objects of pursuit. Everything without God. To set one's mind on the things of flesh is much the same as when John says in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. But is from this world. Loving the world is not more than just appreciating what the world has to offer. It doesn't mean we should, you know, cut ourselves off, join a monastery, wear a cassock. It's not suggesting that. We can still enjoy the world that God has given to us. But what is our desire? What are we trying to do? Is it all about self-fulfillment? Is God in it at all? Loving the world and being in the world are two different things. So then we've got this other group of people that are living according to the Spirit. Well, Galatians helpfully goes on, you see, and you know this passage well, don't you? The fruit of the Spirit. God reveals that if we are of the Spirit, I don't mean to associate just with this side of the church, by the way. I'm not making you more holier than this side over there. So I do apologize that the wickedness is going to be on this side and the holiness is going to be on this side. Okay? But... What does it say in Galatians? Well, read it there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, oh, can't believe that. forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, when we're born of the Spirit, we still live in the world. We still have to get our hands dirty with living, existing, caring for, cleaning, or avoiding cleaning in my case. But our life is set differently, isn't it? We have a different perspective. To set our minds on the things of the Spirit means to relate all of our lives into how God has called us, how God has equipped us, how God wants to use us, how God commands us, and how we are to be obedient to God. Obviously, after my television program's finished or I finished what I was doing first. Can you see, we're in this constant battle. This is where life is grey. Do you find life is very grey? I'm very grey. Perhaps that's a sign of why I'm grey. 
But to God, it's black or white. It's clear cut. We have two mindsets. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses, well, the first four verses, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. That's what it means to be a believer. Do you believe it? If you believe it, do you show it? And that's the challenge for this morning, isn't it? There are two mindsets of the flesh, life according to the flesh, a life according to the spirit. So just as there are two mindsets, oh, gone a bit far, but you can have that now, free of charge. We then have two <coughs> groups of people, two mindsets. And the Bible, this passage goes on. Have a look at it with me. Have a look at it. Open up if you've got the Bible in front of you. Romans chapter 8, we'll quickly go through it. Life according to the flesh. This is the standing if you really do not know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. If you have not professed your faith in that or confessed your sin, that is the standing you are. You might think you are. You might, but actually deep down this is what it means. And what does it mean? Well, first of all, in verse 5 it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. So you have those fleshly desires, don't you? But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So in verse 5 we've got whatever we desire. A bit like Solomon, really. Whatever we want. In verse 6, the mind of the sinful man is, oh, that's not a good line, is it? It's not wealth. It's not success. It's not fame. It is death. But then it gets, I think this is even more compelling, even more than death. How odd is that? But this is, well, let me explain what I mean. Verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God's law. <clears throat> You're hostile to God. You're an enemy of God. It goes on, doesn't it? Verse 8. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That's quite a real truth, isn't it? You might be coming to church, but you're not pleasing God. You might do some really kind things, but it's not pleasing God. You might be the most moral person and a good example and do everything, everything everybody wants, but you won't please God. Why? Because you don't recognize God. That's a hard truth, isn't it? The unbeliever cannot please God. They're hostile to God. They're subject to death. Verse 10, have a look at that. You have, oh, verse 10, I was reading verse 9. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So the opposite is true, that we're unrighteous. So we have all those things, those qualities up there, that if ultimately we do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. We might have been brought up a believer or as a Christian. We might have been brought up in church. We might have been born to be decent, moral, upright. But if we haven't given our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand in that position. 
I still find it amazing every time I think about this. That is it really true, God, that the unbeliever can't please you? They probably do nicer things than I do as a believer. It doesn't please God. And it's quite a harsh reality, isn't it? So the converse has to be true, because when you look at what those things are in this passage, the spiritual <coughs> desires are of above. Whereas the unbeliever is subject to death, the believer is subject to life and peace. Whereas the unbeliever is hostile to God, we have peace with God. Whereas the unbeliever belongs to self, in verse 9, the believer belongs to Christ. Where they're subject to death, we're subject to life. Where they are judged as unrighteous, we are judged as righteous. Now, what is that about? Is it purely that I'm so much better than anyone else here? Uh, no. <laughs> you know that's not the case. I'm not saved because I'm better and I'm more righteous. I've done nothing to deserve this. Scripture teaches that I have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's a truth that we just have to accept. We're saved by faith through God's grace. And when we're saved by faith through grace, it gives us a relationship with God that transfers us from darkness into light. And that is the standing of the believers this morning. And it's a remarkable truth that I have the ability to diminish, to pack it, to put it away, to carry it somewhere deep inside my pockets. <laughs> so that when I have to make a decision and in life and I've got to say, should I do this or should I do that? Well, my heart still makes me do the thing I shouldn't do. When I know now the thing I should do. And therefore, each and every day, we have to keep short accounts with God. We have to confess our sin. We have to renew that every day, don't we? It's true, isn't it? How do you think? The heart of this process in the mindsets for life is how do I think? What is our first thought? One of the things I'll share with you, this is from Phil. It made me sit up when he shared it at Homegate. The Christian husband on the way out in the <coughs> to the office in the morning, wife shouts down, says, on your way out, could you just put, could you just put the rubbish out for the dustman? It's Monday. Do I look like I've got time to do that? I'm already late. Can't you just do it, for goodness sake? Goes out. That's what an unchristian man would do, isn't it? Never speak to their wife that way. The Christian man comes downstairs on his way out. And the wife says, darling, it's Monday, could you just put the rubbish out? What does a Christian man do? Do I look like I've got time to put that out? What are you asking? Just get off. Oh, I can't believe it, I'm late already. But if we really are, <laughs> we're just as sinful. But then we would have that remorse that says, you know what? Ring in and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I should speak to you like that. I'm so sorry that I'm just so selfish in a morning and grumpy. We know it's wrong and we confess it. Now, still, that's just an illustration he gave us, and I like that illustration. 
because I recognize that as a Christian man, as a Christian believer, as a, someone who absolutely identifies with Christ, I'm afraid if you were to follow me on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even next Sunday when I'm not in front of you, I wouldn't be that example for you. And that's the challenge for us as believers, isn't it? That God has gracefully, through his grace and through his mercy and through his love, lifted us from darkness into light, and yet I still my li- live my life and make the decisions as though I'm in darkness. What is that about? Well, it's a key challenge, isn't it? Two groups of people, two mindsets for life, and somewhere, two destinies. Now, I travel every week down to London at this station. You might recognize it. Chesterfield Station. And it used to be very clear cut. If you wanted to go north, you would go to platform two. If you want to go south, sorry, if you want to go north, platform one. If you want to go south, you go platform two. That's why I'm late. <laughs> Just twigged it. And then a few years ago, they decided to confuse even that sermon illustration. <laughs> they put platform three in, and I've come in that way as well when I'm coming south and north. I've no idea what's happening there. But fundamentally, you can only go one way or the other can't you, at Chesterfield Station. And ultimately, if I want to go to London, I have to be on the southbound track. If I want to go to Manchester or Leeds, I need to be on the northbound track. And so it is with this passage. It speaks very clearly of the fact there are two destinies. What are those destinies? We can have the next one. There you go. Life according to the flesh means, or life according to the spirit. Which way round are they? Well, we're told the spirit does not dwell in us, and it leads to death. That is the destiny. And it is a great uh, truth of the Bible. Now, I could stand on my placard. I could go to Hyde Park Corner, and I could say the wages of sin is death. The end of the world is nigh. And I could be doom and gloom, and I could be that. I'm doom and gloom quite a lot of the time, actually. But God doesn't want us just to do that. God wants us to love him and live for him so that we can share the message he has shown us to people who are destined to still be going to die. Whereas the spirit of life dwells in us, we have life. The spirit dwells in us, we have that life. Romans 8, 6, So the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The first group is dominated by the flesh because they are spiritually dead. The second group is dominated by the Holy Spirit because they're spiritually alive. The scary part of this is the Bible very clearly says, if those who are dead in their sins continue in that state until they die physically, they will throughout all eternity be in that state. They're not annihilated when they die. They have an eternity of torment. That's a really hard thing to understand. Revelations 2015, referring to this second death, says, And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That state of eternal death, it would be a blessing if life ended for them. But it doesn't. It goes on for eternity. These truths come from Jesus himself. The good news is, if you have been given new life through the Holy Spirit, although your physical body will die... God will resurrect your body and you will enjoy life and peace with him and with all the saints throughout eternity. The moment your physical body dies, your spiritual body goes to be with God. 
Death is never a pretty picture. I work in pathology, and it is a very grim profession at times. Nothing like a good abnormality makes my day. But ultimately, there is something about death that is just overwhelmingly sad, full of regret. We all have to face it. But we know that the destiny that we pass through at that, if we are of the flesh, I'm afraid, is an eternity of torment. But if we are the spirit, it's an eternity of life. And why I say that is because I think we all know people, we can all think of people this morning who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That is their fate. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking you're doing yourself good, well, remember, if you haven't believed yet, you're not pleasing God by being here. And your fate is still that fate. That's a horrible thought. Sorry about that. But it's a truth that I can't not say. But the one who is born again has life and peace. The life is called eternal because it's indestructible. It can't be taken away and there's <clears throat> by any evil force. We can't lose our salvation. This is one of the truths the devil's very good at. He can absolutely convince us. I believed when I was a bit ago or I made a profession, but I didn't think, I don't know. But if we earnestly make that profession of faith, we earnestly seek the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how far we feel from him, God has a hold of us. Never will I leave you or forsake you. We can forsake him. He won't forsake us. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's why we have two different worldviews, isn't it? Those in the world have a viewpoint that the world is changing and it's progressing and we're getting so much better at everything. One day we'll get rid of all illness. Everyone will love each other in harmony and peace and they'll live like Star Trek. We, on the other hand, who have a belief, understand the world never changes because sin never changes. The problem of the world is sin. And there's only one way of dealing with it. And that doesn't change. And no matter how we live our lives, whatever gadgets we have to make our lives fantastic, whatever social media you're hooked into, you know, you twit face and all that sort of stuff that you have, the whole thing is presenting life in a different format. But fundamentally, the problem of life doesn't change. So the perspective of the person of the spirit will always be at odds with the person of the world. So it doesn't surprise me that the world does look to, at the moment in the UK, the laws are changing. And that's a great shame they're changing. But we have a sovereign God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's in control of that. And therefore, the need that we had all those years ago when Paul was writing is the same as the need today. You're either in darkness or in light. I think I've made that point a few times already. So finally then, my challenge to you this morning is two challenges. There we go. Just because we're running low on time, I shall. Can you put in the next slide? There we go. To the unbeliever, I would seriously ask you to consider your position. Consider it this morning. Uh, that one of the great ways in which we can celebrate, that, that we can meet together and have fellowship and sing those lovely hymns we've been singing this morning, is that we know that God hasn't returned yet. So that judgment, hasn't, final judgment, hasn't been made which gives opportunity for those. Everyone who's been saved in the last month will be so grateful God hasn't come back yet. We don't know when God's coming back. Now, those who are saved, we can either sit back and wait 
in the departure lounge, as one or two people might think, waiting for the flight. But I don't think God wants us to do that. God wants us to reach out to the unbeliever because the unbeliever still has to consider their position. They have to consider their fate. They have to consider the very words of Christ. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. It's a basic Bible truth. Lots of nods. I know it. We know it. But please do consider your position. God's Holy Spirit will convict people of their sin. And if God is calling you to church, if God is calling you into the presence of a believer and that believer has got a friendship with you and explains their faith and we as believers should do that, then we know that God will use us in that work to reach out to people. Not just in contact evangelism, which God does use us in, but in that relational evangelism, that witness, that testimony, that example But then this is the challenge to the believers, because you guys have probably already recognized this message is clear. So what is your challenge? Well, my challenge to me as a believer in preparing for this, and you this morning as sitting to it, is live your life, or live our lives, knowing the Spirit of God is in us. I, I, tomorrow morning I'll be a different person again. I'll be on the email, I'll be huffing and puffing. Why have they done that? Life can just take over, can't it? Just carry the fact that you have no condemnation through knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hold on to that in your pocket. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. And we need topping up. I, I, I think I'm a leaky sieve. Do you ever feel like that? I think I can be on a Sunday full of the Holy Spirit and the joys of everybody, and by Sunday lunchtime, some of it's leaked out. Might be grumpy again. But ask God each and every day, just fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Let me know today that you are with me. Let me know today how you want me to live. What conversations will I have? What decisions will I make? Let me make you part of them. Live my life according to the Spirit. And there's three practical ways we can do that just as we close. The first is we must learn to listen when we pray. How do we know God is speaking to us? Well, I'm good at talking. It's one of those things I can do. My kids say I've got a job talking for a living. Take a breath. When we pray, we need to learn to listen because that's when God speaks to us. Most of our prayer is focused on our wants. I've still not got that new Mercedes. I've still not got that great new opportunity that will solve all my problems. Lord, give me direction. And you've got to mean it. What direction do you want me to do? Lord, give me the words to say. What words do you want me to say? One of the things is if we're going to try and listen, we have to spend time in prayer. And that's what we should do. The second point we can do, we can consciously humble ourselves before God. I have an ego the size of a planet. I've had it for many years. It's getting bigger, I think. And pride can be a real area of struggle for any man. It's just built into our male nature, I think. Perhaps not for you. But I'm always, always challenged. The fact that you, society puffs us up, doesn't it? Oh, that was so, if anyone comes up at the end and says, that was so good. No, you say that was so good because God told you so. Because we absolutely need to be humble 
before God. He's given us gifts and abilities and opportunities. He's given us friendships and families. We have that responsibility. And in living our lives full of the Spirit, we absolutely need to humble ourselves before God. Because they won't be saved because of me. They'll be saved because of God. And then thirdly and finally, we must seek God's direction through his word. His word contains so much truth. We can put it into practice. We can, I mean, many of you have a Bible app on your phone. You can read it every day. You can get emails every day. One of the challenges I have is to try and make sure the first app I open is the Bible app. And it's annoying me at the moment that my wife is ahead of me on the consecutive number of days. I missed the other day. I'm down at one again. I don't want to do it just to get the credit of the app. When we read the Bible, meditate on it. Ask why it's there. What are you teaching me this morning, Lord? It's a blueprint for us, not only to how to live our lives, but also what we should do, how we should think. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who are unbelievers and those who are believers. And when we are a believer, God has given us his handbook for our lives. If we leave it on the shelf, if we leave it in the glove box, if we leave it in the briefcase, if we leave it on the sideboard, it's not helping us. So let's listen when we pray. Let's consciously humble ourselves before God because we deserve nothing. And let's Seek direction through his word. If you want to know what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit, we're going to stand and sing our final hymn and ask the Lord to fill our hearts and set them on fire. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share Romans 8. Your homework <laughs> think about your decisions. Heads or tails? Are you going to do something or are you not going to do something? Are you going to study the word or are you going to leave it shut? It's a challenge for us as believers. Let's pray for people who we know do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray for each other, to uphold one another, to encourage one another to do God's work. Let's be full of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and sing our final song.